Hello and welcome to Beyond Survival, the new teacher podcast. My name is Jamie Tom. This is this week's teacher talk episode. And in the next 15 minutes, I'll be exploring the question, how can we best teach quiet students? And to begin that, I'd like you to introduce you to Molly. Molly is 13 years old and she's just in the car on the way home from her parents' evening. And she's received in that parents' evening nine variations of the following. Molly is a lovely student, but she is very quiet. Molly is very hardworking, but she really needs to come out of her shell. Molly's doing really, really well on this subject, but unfortunately, she's just very, very quiet. I'd really like to see her contributing more in lessons. Now, Molly's experience in school means an awful lot to me. I was Molly in school, and my parents' evenings had much of the same. Jamie's really hardworking, but he's very quiet. It was always coupled with that conjunction, but. So about four and a half years ago, and I went on a bit of a mission to look really in detail at the experience of quieter people in schools. And that's quiet teachers and quiet students. And this kind of odyssey of quiet led me to publish a book three years ago this month called A Quiet Education. And in this talk, I want to look at some of the key findings. And as I say, as a classic introvert, this subject really does mean a huge amount to me. And I'm not here to argue that quieter people is a quieter personalities are the kind of the way people should be. I'm married to the essence of an extrovert, and I appreciate the personalities are really fluid and dynamic process. But what I do feel is that often schools represent a kind of extrovert ideal. And that's something in order to consider the quieter individuals in our classroom who can make up to a third of the individuals in there. We need to reflect on their experience. So what's the first thing we can do? I interviewed a huge amount of quiet leaders, quiet teachers, and quiet students in preparation for the book. And one of the things they said to me was they, what they often feel like, if we think about the student's experience first, is that they are ghosting through their school day and that they are not noticed in the classroom environment. Now, if we think about motivation, if we think about a sense of belonging, it's really, really hard to find that when you feel that you are not acknowledged. So one of the main arguments that I make throughout the book is that it's really, really important for us as teachers to be conscious of all of our students. And it's entirely human nature that the classroom is like an extroverted portal 
Clearly, we're going to have students who dominate that environment, who got their hands up all the time, who want to take part, who really, really are vocal in their interactions with us. But there's also those students who are not. So what can we do to make them feel valued and make them feel accepted? I think the first thing is a name-rich classroom. The best classrooms I've been in, names are used for over and over and over again. It's everyone's name that's being used. And I don't think sometimes as teachers we recognise and value just how important young people's names are to them. It's about being sentient, really, really reflective. Who are you having conversations with in your classroom? Who's taking up a huge amount of their airtime, naturally, for, for many different reasons? And who's not? Who are the ghosts that make up your classroom dynamic? And what you can do with those individuals is recognise that they might need quieter form of validation, a quieter form of noticing, and a quieter form of feedback. Some young people, especially a lot of the quieter students that I interviewed, really don't like this kind of public validation that often comes in a classroom. And they talked about some teachers who might leave them a little note in their jotters or their workbooks, just recognising that they are working really, really hard. Another thing I think is really important is recognising and valuing quiet interests. If we go back to Molly, who was one of the students that I interviewed for the book, but whose name I've changed. Molly was deeply, deeply passionate about horses. Absolutely love horses. Loves everything about them. Has that really introverted, which just means to turn inwards, rather than extroverted, which means to turn outwards, focus and interest in horses. And that for us as teachers, that nugget of information about that young person can be so powerful and so important in building that positive relationship that makes them feel noticed. So what is it about that young person that is like a firework that goes off in their mind? What are they thinking about so deeply and profoundly? So that's one of the first areas I'd like to talk about today. That focus on noticing individuals. The second is about contributions. That aspect that hounded Molly throughout her parents' evening experience. And again, I've mentioned this already, but I'll repeat it because I think it's worth repeating. The classroom is an extrovert's paradise. Often the interactions we have at the front of the room are a massive moment for extroverts to shine. You can just see the faces of the young people who are really confident, who want to answer all of the time, who raise their hands over and over again. But let's think about Molly's only interaction in the school on the day she had her parents evening. She was in a biology lesson and osmosis was the subject. And the teacher asked the question, does anyone know what osmosis is in the room? There were no hands raised, so the teacher said, Molly, what's osmosis? 
Molly didn't know the answer. So she said, I don't know. And they were the only two words she spoke to a teacher that whole school day. Now again, I come back to that point about self-esteem, about motivation, about your own self-efficacy as a learner. So what's really important, and a lot of the research I've read suggests that introverts need a little bit longer to process things and to think and to reflect. I know I do. I imagine myself in a department meeting in which I barely ever said a word. It's because I was many often overloaded and found it difficult to think clearly in that environment. So what can we do for our students? We can scaffold those contributions. The first thing that's really, really important is that concept of wait time. Mary Bug Rowe in the 70s did some really important research into wait time and found that idea that teachers just fire off questions and don't leave any space or openness for reflection for students in the classroom. So what we really need to try and do is up the level of time we leave after asking questions. And ideally we want three seconds. Now that's three seconds, and it feels a little bit unusual. It feels like you should be filling that silence. And it takes confidence. And Craig Barton in the interview a couple of weeks ago gave some brilliant tips on how to do this. But all that does is it helps the young people to allow themselves to rehearse answers in their mind. And that's a line you can give when you ask a question. I'd like you to mentally rehearse this answer before you ask individuals for hands or before you ask for names for contributions. Now, the other way you can do that is to scaffold the peer discussion. And you have to think really carefully about the way you set up a seating arrangement in the room. Are your quieter students working with somebody they feel comfortable with that they can open themselves up to in order to encourage dialogue? And all that really is, is a way to rehearse the answer in a quieter, safer, more contained space before they share it verbally to the class as a whole. And you can combine that with writing. So writing an answer. And that's why many whiteboards can be so brilliant and powerful for the quieter students in the classroom. Because they get the opportunity to write down and record their thoughts before they have to share them verbally. Again, just mentally rehearsing answers. And there's almost a little bit of a fetish, I'll use that word, a fetish, with verbal contributions in a classroom. And we don't always have to rely on that. And we can say in a parents' evening that Molly's ability to write brilliant ideas is a fantastic way in which she contributes to the dynamic of a lesson. And we can set up projects, we can set up open-ended tasks that allow these quieter, more imaginative, often more imaginative students to have that opportunity. The final thing I'd like to do is I'd like to, a bit of a call for us to celebrate quiet skills in classrooms. Now, what does that look like practically? The first is enabling moments of silence and individual work 
in classrooms. So 10 minutes of silence in which we're going to work really, really hard. There's not going to be any communication. Instead, we're all working really individually, concentrating. And that's not just valuable for our introverted or quieter students. It's valuable for all our students because they're getting the time and space to process whatever it is we've been exploring in a lesson in a way that will enable attention and focus. I really think we also need to talk up listening in classrooms. Students like Molly, who listen beautifully, who we can see are being really, really attentive to everything we're saying, and they're processing it, and they're thinking through what it is we're exploring in the classroom. And the way we can celebrate that is by drawing a spotlight on it. Some of you are listening so brilliantly today, and I really, really appreciate it. Really, really helpful. And recognising students in our classrooms who have amazing attention to detail, and whose jotters, whose workbooks are things of profound beauty because they care really passionate about them. Giving them that opportunity in which to shine as much as possible. And I believe we can take that celebration of quiet skills and strengths and perseverance that we might talk about in our classrooms and we can superimpose that onto parents' evenings. And when we're talking about quieter students who might make up the dynamic of our classrooms in a parents' evening, it's there that we shine a light on those individuals. And we say, yes, Molly doesn't contribute verbally a huge amount in lessons, but what happens, what happens instead is that she really does take such care and pride in her work then list all the amazing strengths that Molly does have as an individual. And that, in terms of her self-efficacy, in terms of her confidence, in terms of feeling accepted and seen in your lessons, is massively important and massively powerful. So, just as a quick summary, I've been exploring the idea of how we can best teach quiet students. And this is just a brief introduction, but three things we can do is really notice and value them as individuals. It's to scaffold the way we manage dialogue and discussions in our classrooms and to really celebrate this idea of quiet strengths and quiet skills and to never use that pesky conjunction, but when we're in a parents' evening, to discuss wonderful students like Molly. So thank you so much for your time. I hope this has been helpful. As usual, if it has been helpful, please do pass it on and share it with other teachers. Thank you so much. <laughs>